tapping in. This is Dave from Dave Root Band and Tesla, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. All right, Pittsburgh! You wanted the best! You got the best! Welcome to episode 346 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 346, we are jam-packed with guests, so I'm not going to talk a lot. We're going to get straight to the interviews right away. Uh, We have joining us on the show, Troy Laquetta of Tesla joins us uh, again. Uh, They're going to be doing a show on the 8th of August at the Palace Theater in Greensburg, so we are really glad to get a chance to talk to him. Also, for the blues fans out there, we have Geneva Magnus and Joe Lewis Walker both joining us on the show. Both were uh, Grammy nominees in 2017 for Contemporary Blues, so we're going to be joined by them as well. Both are coming to town to do shows at the Club Cafe, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And also, we have uh, introducing a a new band, uh, at least new to us. uh, The band is Hemlock. We have Brian Smith joining us from Hemlock, for those of you who are metal fans. We'll get to that a little bit later. So... Without further ado, we're going to play some classic Tesla, get into the interview with Troy Laquetta. City Rocks. We have on the line from Tesla, Troy Laquetta. How you doing, Troy? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Very, very well. You guys are going to be coming into Pittsburgh, um, actually in the Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is a, you know just a little bit east of Pittsburgh, here in just a little over a week on the 8th to play the Palace Theater. Um, I know you guys had a pretty massive tour with Def Leppard and Poison. Let's kind of wrap that up. So I wanted to get a, a sense, you know, if you guys had any time to kind of rest and relax before you head out on these string of uh, headline dates what is that <laughs> rest yeah rest. Oh. 
Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, it depends on what you call rest. Um, I mean, we do, you know, take a couple weeks off. And in that time, when you get home, I mean, that's far from rest because you got so much to catch up on from being gone five, six weeks at a time that you just put yourself in a position where you come home and you try to get everything done um, at the, you know, 11th hour, so to speak. So, I mean, for most of us, I mean, like Brian and myself and Frank, I know that we all work and do a lot of things. So when we get back out out here on the road, that's really where the rest comes in. Now, um, when when you get on the road, do you find, you know, kind of the downtime, you know, aside from dealing with us, you know, in the media, you know, and the obvious, the VIP type of stuff, but um, is the rest of the day kind of boring? I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of people dream of what, you know, rock star life is, but I mean, is it kind of dull during the day? It's all up to you as an individual, what you do with your time. I've been up since six and I just finished editing a video you know, that I'm going to post, um, and just, you know, I'm just trying to find ways to occupy some of that free time. I bought a drone, I've got books and, you know, stuff I'm interested in learning. So like when I was home on my last two week break, I went to Florida for five days and I took a class to get certified for a video editing program called Final Cut Pro. Mm -hmm. So I could just have some fun and do some of this stuff and put some stuff out there and just figure out a way to maybe strike a balance, you know, and and kind of jump in a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I can see, you know, I, I would think, you know, you can only watch so many movies in the bus and, you know, read so many books before you just kind of fry on that stuff. Um, I don't so. watch movies on the bus myself. I'm not a movie guy. Um, I really don't. I spend most of my time you know, working on something or, you know, trying trying to see, see what I could do to kind of learn something. And yeah, keep the brain you know, active. I rarely, yeah, so that's kind of where, where I'm at. And really, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I, I think I speak for most of us out here, you know. I don't I never really see much TV going on. Yeah. That, um, now, doing the headline shows, is that much more work for you is it at this point in your career is it you're just kind of able to kind of cruise through most of the set you maybe throw in a couple new songs or a couple you know deeper tracks does it really make a difference for you uh in what sense well i guess musically and also conditioning you know as a, as a drummer obviously your role is probably you know pretty physical um does it yeah make... for me um i mean for me personally uh, what i'm finding out and um I'm all that, I, again. I'm working on myself. I'm working on my physical. I'm working on what I put in my body, what I eat. You know, am I working out? Am I putting some time in some aerobics? All these things that make a difference for the show. And if I really want to be <clears throat> giving the show 110 percent, I need to do that during the day with my body. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding out that I have to do it more and more as I'm, you know, getting older. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's kind of like use it or lose it. And I'll notice some nights when I'm playing physically, I've just got just so much energy and I just feel so great. But then there's those nights that creep up on you and you're like, well, what happened tonight? You know, where, where was it? You know? Yeah. And 
I don't know what the formula for that is, but um, maybe it's just part of being human and, and like anything, you know. And you can get complacent. I know that we did that on the Def Leppard run for the last two and a half years. Uh, I mean, as great as it was, I actually was pretty happy to get off of it and do our own shows. Um, so we could get back into what we're doing. And it's only been a little over, a, you know, we're in our second week of it. So it feels really good to, to start, you know, putting out more. I mean, mm-hmm. a 90-minute set is wonderful. And yeah. I'm finding that, you know, I mean, I could do another, you know, you could stick another hour on that or 90 on it if you wanted, I'm sure. Because you just adapt to whatever it is and you get it done, you run the race, you know. Exactly. Um, but um, and and it's part of that mental, you know, preparation, you know, for the physical. And so it's just something we've done for so long. I mean, there was a time where we were doing a two and a half hour show, and it was nothing. It was it was great. I loved it. Um, but you know, we're we're at a ninety minute set. The tracks are set list. Yeah, you've got your staples, and it is what it is. And there's some deeper tracks here and there. And then we've got a new record coming out, you know, early next year. So, and we'll hopefully maybe get a track or two off of that. And I noticed we're not even playing the latest news track that we had. It was in the set for a minute. And that's the one that we did with Phil Collin called Save That Goodness. And so, I, I, you know, I don't pick the set list. Frank kind of handles that. So I just kind of go with the flow. Whatever they want to play is fine with me. I just want to make sure that I'm in, you know, You're ready. physical state to do it. Now, let me ask you this, because I know I've talked to, to, you know, Phil, for example, from um, Def Leppard, obviously, and um, Dave um, from Megadeth about nutrition and, and things like that, and, and obviously you, you sound like you, you get interested in that. From a physical standpoint, do you find, you know, the, the adrenaline of when the show starts, is there something you need to do to kind of balance your energy out so you don't, you know, kind of give it all away in the first three, four songs, or did you? Have well, absolutely. You know, absolutely. There's. It's just. I mean, it, it comes with being somewhat seasoned, mm-hmm. and as you get seasoned, you don't never want to lose that pith and vinegar that you started with. You know what I mean? Sure. And you just really kind of want to have that angst and that fire for the music that we're playing. And the way things are, I can pace myself. I used to go pretty hard all night long, and I'm finding that I'm doing things now that are working more for me in the show, being a little more seasoned approached, if that makes sense. In other sure. words, not just going you know, on 11 the whole set and really just beating the crap out of my drums all night, which right. I can do, and I'm very comfortable in that setting but i find it really doesn't serve the music as well and dynamics and and then i have to make sure that i'm playing hard enough and aggressive enough to meet my sound man's needs there's a lot of needs to be met out here outside of myself and the band and then our sound man Hmm. you know and to make sure that we're you know at a certain dynamic level for me the guitars are at one level they have their volumes and but you know it's a Tesla's a very dynamic band when it comes to the music and the mm-hmm. recording. So I like to um, be able to get that across without losing it, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I often wondered, you know, with, with drummers, you know, you, you start out, you've got a certain amount of adrenaline, the house lights go up, you know, even the fans are excited. You know, the, you know I think the, the natural reaction for an amateur would be play fast, play hard. Um, but then once your body kind of settles in and, and you know, you, you get into the, you know, middle part of the show, you know, you mentioned a great point about the, you know, you're maybe not hitting as hard or you're, you know, slowing the tempo down. Well, I was often I wondering mean, how that was, you know, how you, your body's cert- natural it's reactions. Cert- it's certain sections. Like we have a, one of the songs we play is called The Way It Is, and Frank will come down dynamically, so I come down with him in the mm-hmm. middle of the solo section. And, uh, it's uh it's it's a dynamic thing you know Mm -hmm. um you know so if we breathe and do that together it works but if everybody is playing super hard and i back off too much yeah um i'm not going to be able to you get lost to to, uh for my sound man he might lose a few minutes so he needs some consistency out consistencies out of me yeah that's just really interesting you never really think about that from the sound man's perspective with the drummer um, you mentioned, well, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the, the new album. Um, is that something that you guys have, are you still in the writing phase or, or are you kind of pre-production or where would you no, say you are? No, it's, it's in the mixing phases. It's pretty much finished is my understanding. Um, you know, if, if I, if I, if I understand it correctly, matter of fact, Frank's walking on the bus. Let me ask him. From what I understand with the new record, it's in its mixing stages and it is finished. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So that's where I'm. They're mixing it. Yeah. Yeah. They're mixing it as as we speak. Awesome. Now, do you guys get involved at this stage? Do you get involved with the mastering, the mixing, or is you you send that to a you know somebody and they just kind of uh, send you the well, results and you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down? We have in the past on different occasions. Uh, this record is being mixed by Ronan, who did the last Def Leppard record, does front of house for Def Leppard, and okay. uh, Phil Collins has produced our new record, so there's a relationship there, um, and it just seems to make sense to have uh, Ronan mix the record. Uh, he did the single called Save That Goodness, did a great job on it, and his records sound good. And so we've just kind of you know, turned it over. If there's some things when it comes back, you might make some suggestions on, you know, hey, maybe we could change this or change that. But for the most part, you know, I, I think, you know, we're in pretty good shape trusting his ability. Yeah, well, that's, that's fantastic. So we'll look forward to that. You mentioned early 2018. Um, you guys, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, you're rolling into Greensburg on the 8th. Um, so we look forward to seeing when you get into town, man. Well, I look forward. Thank you for your time, Joe. All right, a big thanks again to Troy Laquetta. Again, they're going to be uh, doing a show on uh, Tuesday night at the Palace Theater in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. That's Tuesday, August 8th. So uh, if you're just down and downloading the show when it's brand new, uh, you've only got a couple hours left to get to the show. So if you want to check that out, it's always great to see Tesla doing shows. Also, we're going to turn attention now to a blues vocalist, very, very uh, strong vocalist who's been doing this for a very long time. The, the name is Jennifer Magnus. Uh, she's going to be doing a show at the Club Cafe on Monday, August 14th. That's an 8 o'clock show. Uh, Genova, uh just recently off uh, some of her most successful uh, music to date, uh, garnering a nomination for Best Contemporary uh, Blues. So we talk a lot about what kind of impact um, you know, a Grammy nomination has to an artist um, and, and can do for the publicity surrounding artists. So without further ado, 
Genova Magnus. City Rocks. We have blues vocalist Genova Magnus on the line. How you doing, Genova? I'm good, John. How you doing? Very, very well. Hey, you're going to be coming in to do a show at the Club Cafe here in Pittsburgh uh, here in just a little over a week or so, on the 14th. Um, so, we're excited to get an opportunity to talk to you. Uh, obviously, you've had a very long and illustrious career, which is, um, you know, kind of, interestingly enough, kind of... Uh, Still on the rise at this point, you know, with a Grammy nomination in, in uh, 2016. So I was really glad to get a chance to talk to you. Can you talk a little bit about um, maybe what initially drew you to the blues in particular? You know, I um, am super grateful that I got exposed to some remarkable blues artists when, you know, as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And it really, really, really just took me um, hostage in the best way possible. Um, and it, I felt so connected, so deeply connected to the music um, that it was an experience I started to chase as as a younger girl. And, um, you know, that turned into an obsession with a blues records and, and blues shows and that turned into uh, a career path like who knew <laughs> yeah, that, it, yeah. It's, it's interesting you know how many people you know kind of stumble into careers uh, you know but you look back at I mean you're, you've been you know actively recording for what close to 30 years now maybe, maybe longer longer than yeah. that I mean so obviously something worked uh, you know you obviously struck a chord, um, and, I, and I misspoke. It was a 2017 Grammy nomination. My apology for "Love Wins Again." What does it mean to you after all this time to you know, I w- in having what I would imagine has got to be you know a, a real, really really nice thing to have you know, the wider musical industry recognize "Love Wins Again." You know, I uh, I never expected to have Grammy nominated next to my name. So it was really a beautiful surprise, shocking, and, yeah. and beautiful for me uh, when that when that happened. And um, you know, it 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 means a lot. It means a level of recognition that I 
never expected to have, and I'm I'm super grateful for that. Well, let me ask yeah. you this, because that, that was in, am I correct, the contemporary blues, which is now they've broken right. blues back out again. How do you, you know, as you know, insider and you know, educate the rest of us who you know maybe don't know what the differentiation between the traditional blues category and the contemporary category? Do you have, I mean, is it something that's obvious to you as a musician, or are you still kind of scratch your head and go, you know, what's what? No, I mean, traditional is is uh, is uh, traditional acoustic or electric blues in um, a very traditional 12-bar f- or 8-bar format okay. that you uh, use very traditional and expected, well-known, well-established, you know, instruments in. Um, contemporary uh, pushes the envelope. Let's okay. just put it that way. That's the simplest way to put it. Yeah. With sounds, with approach, um, with instruments. Sure. Now that makes sense. I, I had the opportunity to talk to Joe Lewis Walker, um, who was also nominated in 2017. That's right. Uh, and when I listen to his music, to me it's a little more obvious because he maybe because he blends elements of soul and gospel and things in there, um, you know, pretty blatantly. Um, that it kind of stuck mm-hmm. out, you know, when I listened to a, a Joe Bonamassa record or a Buddy Guy record, it, you know, it's got a different kind of flavor. But yours, it, to me, I would have not, you know, if, if someone had held a gun to my head, wouldn't have been able to say which of the two I would have put it in. Um, so I was just curious, you know, if you guys understood the differentiation. So thank you for the education. Um, well, yeah, and I'm, I'm, i i got to say one thing about that, which is that I'm really glad that there is a you know a contemporary blues mm-hmm. uh category again with uh regard to um the grammy categories because it makes really good sense um there's yeah. a tremendous amount of of contemporary blues out here in the market so yeah. it, it it opens up the it opens up the room for us and i'm, I'm really happy about that jennifer when, when you get that grammy nominated tag what does that do for you as an artist? I mean, does that do you did you find it opening doors or is it you know still kind of slow and steady? You know, this is you know the career path you're on. It, it, does it really open anything additional for you? I think it opens other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. I think it is a level of recognition, certainly that is is broader than I than I've had um, thus far, and. Um, I think it it gets other people to pay more attention. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what I'm going to do, right. whether I get recognized for it or not. Mm-hmm. But it does bro- bring a broader attention um, to me as an artist. Sure. Um, it certainly helps as a as a promotional and a publicity vehicle. It yes. certainly helps in that way. Um, you know, is it a game changer? I think what is a game changer is if you actually take home the hardware yeah um i think that turns into a different level of of pay and recognition but i'm not complaining believe no. me no in your not career enough. in your career um have you seen i mean obviously the record industry has gone one direction but has the blues in your opinion or even you specifically has it been as negative as it maybe has been for rock music or pop music have, have the blues suffered at the same degree 
would you say as far as sales and you know lack of promotion from labels and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's always going to be a demographic with blues, I will say this, that mm. uh, whether it's traditional or contemporary, there's always going to be that part of the demographic that mm. um, the fan bases that are going to show up at shows and buy the records. Because mm-hmm. we still sell, we still sell records. Right. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong you with know. that. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, we still sell records. We still do that. Um, and so um, there's always going to be that portion of the fan base, the demographic, of the, you know, that is going to be those people that buy the records and show up at shows. And I'm super grateful for that. But I will say that, yes, the entire industry has really um, taken a downturn. And the, mm. shortest way to, the shortest way to frame it is streaming is not our friend. Right. And that's, you know, that's such a it's tough not. thing, you know, streaming. And I certainly understand from a, a, you know, monetary aspect. But sometimes, you know, it, 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 the double edge to it is, you know, I see, okay, Grammy Award or Grammy nominated, Grammy Award winning, whatever, is coming to my city. And I don't, you know, I don't maybe recognize the name, you know, the, the, the Spotify's of the world. You can pull it up and listen to, you know, I can listen to your catalog. Well, unfortunately, for you, right. without spending much money. Um but it does, you know, at least for a casual fan or somebody who's maybe not aware of you, you know, I I spend a decent amount of time during the day listening to a streaming blues channel out of Germany that, you know, I just pick up on the web, and I'm sure they're not raining down royalties on everybody either. Um, you know, sometimes it, you know, it gets the music out there, but then it doesn't get you guys paid. So it's it's a really, really tough thing. You know, as a fan, you feel guilty almost about it, but, you know, you're paying Spotify, you're paying... You know, iTunes, whatever. But then, you know, that if it money... leads to a ticket sale, if mm-hmm. it leads to something like a ticket sale or a mm-hmm. or a download or a something like that, then then I think that's that's perfectly great. But but unfortunately, it's that's not right. usually the case these days. You know what I mean? And yeah. everybody's hurting for money. At the whole the whole structure of uh, uh, how um, we support art in general yeah. in this country um, has always been anemic. Yeah, it, it is It is a shame. Oh. I mean, and I've noticed, you know, I was at a show last night, uh, a rock musician, but the merch table is starting to resemble Walmart. Uh, you know, there's so many things they're trying to sell now because, you know, you've got to put gas in the tank to get to the next city and pay the hotel and pay the crew, pay the lighting people. Um you know, it's tough, you know, if, if if us spending 15 bucks to buy the CDs makes these things easier for the artists, I, you know, to me, I, I long for the days when we just paid the 15 bucks to get the CD, um, you know, right. and the car still had the right. CD player, you know, I, I, I personally have to, I have to blame <laughs> the automotive, I have to blame the automotive industry anymore, <laughs> to tell you the truth, because you can't buy a car with a CD player anymore, so how are you supposed to listen to the physical media? Um but you know, thankfully, the you know the resurgence in the vinyl industry is great, but it's not probably not as significant That's as the cool. decrease That's in the CD. Cool. Yeah. Um, no, but I will tell you, for after all these years, um, so Love Wins Again and then Blue Again, mm-hmm. um, which is the release that came out right, uh, you know, this May after Love Wins Again, mm-hmm. um, uh, was my thirteenth release, and the first time I ever 
put out vinyl with my name on it was with Love Wins Again with number 12. That's awesome, yeah. So, now let me ask you wild. this. When you did your debut, like more than, than live, um, did they even make that available at vinyl, or is it something you, you ever dabble in the idea of going back and reissuing some of those, or is it too Never, hard? Never. To... Ne- I had, no, on, on more than live, that actually, the original issue on that was a cassette. That, Which, was, the, that uh, was the state of the art was cassette on on uh, more than live. You know, they'll make uh, and a I comeback. I printed five hundred uh, of them. I sold them. Huh? I'm convinced there'll be a comeback in the cassette industry. <laughs> it, it's next. <laughs> yeah. The TDKs yeah. of the world. Um, so touring wise, I mean, how big of a band do you tour with you um, for your live shows? Drums, bass, two guitars, and myself. So it's a it's a four pieces, four instruments behind me. It's a five piece band all together. Awesome. And um, in your in your set, I mean, are you able? Let me ask you this because I know you know if if you were a, a a rock band, you know, who put out an album in 1991 and came to our mm-hmm. and came to our fair city and decided you were going to do a heavy set of new material as a rock musician, you'd be crucified. Um, do Blues fans uh, allow you to to introduce new material into your set a little more than maybe rock music fans do. You know, my fans love uh, my original songs, and I definitely am in the contemporary blues, mm-hmm. Americana soul, uh, singer songwriter pool, and have been, you know, for several releases. Right. Um, my fans really dig it, you know. Um, but generally, my fans are um, not hardcore traditional blues people. Right. I wouldn't. I don't think they'd be happy with the show if they were. I do do hardcore traditional blues, mm-hmm. but not exclusively. I've that- kind of built a career, an entire career, after all these years of doing my damn well, please. Yeah. Which is a blessing, you know. Yeah, that's the way to you know do it the way it makes you happy, and the fans will follow, you know. And that's we hope for that, you know. Yeah, and it's nice because I mean that's the one thing I think you know sometimes fans such as myself when I go to see an artist on the you know on whatever tour it is for whatever album they put out, a lot of times I want to hear that album, uh, you know, or at least you know a nice chunk of it because the last you know two years ago when that band was in town. They did the last album, and the album before that. I don't need the legacy twelve greatest hits, you know, every time. And I was wondering if you know the blues fans, contemporary or traditional, were a little more open to that, uh, you know, playing of new material, you know, which I've always loved. Yeah, I mean, I try to um, tour. Uh, normally, I'm touring in support of a release, and I try to make sure that I get, mm-hmm. you know, that I cover that base certainly. I wanna, I wanna do that. I mean, that's why, you know, people tune into the radio and, and uh, you know, they wanna, they wanna hear some of that, and I wanna give them that, you know. Excellent, um, Jennifer. I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on the show again. Your show is August fourteenth at the Club Cafe. Uh, tickets available on yeah, the web- website. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, it's gonna be a great week there, as I mentioned. Uh, Joe Lewis Walker's in town. I'm. I believe it's like two or three nights later at the same venue so it's a good good week Great. for the blues um so uh, look forward to seeing when you get into town i wish you all the best with a new release uh 
and uh, congratulations again on that Grammy nomination. And maybe next year we'll get the we'll bring home the hardware. Thanks, man. I, you know, your lips to God's ears. We'll hope she's <laughs> listening. I'll see you in Pittsburgh. All right. Thank you. God bless. All right. All right. A big thank you to Jennifer Magnus again. Her show is on the 14th of August at the Club Cafe. Um, that's a Monday night. Later that same week, uh, Thursday, August 17th, another Grammy-nominated Best Contemporary Jazz Artist, Joe Lewis Walker, will be doing a show, also an 8 o'clock show at the Club Cafe. So we were lucky enough to get a chance to talk with him. Uh, Joe has been around for a long, long time. I really uh, enjoyed talking with Joe about kind of the state of not only the music business, but specifically the blues music business. You know, uh, I think a lot of fans of the show obviously into rock music, and we know how the record industry has changed, but uh, it was really interesting to get a perspective of a blues artist. Uh, uh, so let's uh, listen to a little bit of Joe Lewis Walker, and then we'll get into that interview. My pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have blues legend Joe Lewis Walker on the line. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, you are going to be doing um, some touring in, in our area in the Pittsburgh region. You're doing a show in Wheeling, the Heritage Music Festival, on the 12th of August. Uh, and then you're doing a more intimate show at the Club Cafe on the 17th here in Pittsburgh. Um, so I wanted to get a chance to get you on the uh, show, I think, uh, blues fans. Sure worldwide know your name but uh, kind of introduce you to you know maybe a more mainstream audience with our show um let me start you're, you're originally from san francisco the bay area correct that's true yeah was you know what i think when a lot of people think of, of san francisco we think of you know the the grateful dead the jefferson airplane can you talk a little bit about you know during your formative years as a musician what the san francisco music scene was like and how you you came into the world of blues well, I came into the world of music. Uh, my mother and father uh, brought their, their music with them from down south when they moved to the Bay Area in California um, in the uh, early 40s. And uh, so um, I was the youngest of the litter. I was born in 49. So uh, my dad uh, played all the music for me, all, you know, all the record players and 
some of those older guys he knew, the blues guys, and, and my mom played her music, and my grandmothers played their gospel, and my older brothers and sisters played their rock and roll and R&B, and I was sort of the, you know, the little sponge down at the end who heard everybody's mm-hmm. music, and I just gravitated towards that, and my dad sort of did me like Pavlov's dog if I was a good boy. Uh, he played the, the records for me, and if I wasn't, he wouldn't play them for me. And so it sort of got me into the thing of where music, to me, was always um, connected with the, with something good, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And so after that, um, when I got about 12, uh, we moved to the Fillmore District. And at the time, Fillmore it, uh, was like Harlem in the, in the 30s. Big renaissance, uh, a lot of um, uh, clubs to play. And, uh, and uh, I went to literally junior high school a block from the Fillmore Auditorium the real film auditorium on Gary and Fillmore, not to be confused with the Fillmore West, which was another venue totally altogether. Um, although I played there also. So um, I got to see um, the Fillmore when it was like the Apollo Theater, when um, the Temptations, the real Temptations with David Ruffin and, and James Brown and, and with the school band and people like that would come to town. All us teenagers would, you know, I mean, these were our heroes. You know, I mean, the Temptations were our Beatles, sure. so to speak. And, and so, you know, it was just exciting. And being a young musician, you know, I come to find out that my cousins, my four cousins had a band when I moved to Fillmore. So one of my cousins turned pro and uh, went on the road, and I took his place when I was about 12. So um, uh, we, we all, we, we grew up in music or performing it to sock hops and party dances and YMCA's and motorcycle clubs and 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 and, and um, Elks clubs and all these things. That's how we came up through music. And when I got about sixteen, I left home and uh, started uh, answering ads in the paper in the Berkeley Bar for the hippie papers for guitar playing because mm-hmm. uh, I grew up playing a lot of, of, of stuff that um, uh, my dad had 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 uh, sort of ingrained in me. And and, and so um, uh, I was fortunate to see the the Fillmore scene before the hippies got there, which was very fertile and lots of blues there and in and, and San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, uh, lots of soul. Uh, Sly Stone was coming of age then. Uh, uh, um, the, uh, groups like Jefferson and Anthony and the Dead were, were, were doing free concerts in the park. I, I don't even know if they were playing the Fillmore that much then. Uh, and the Family Dog was also another place. And so then, then when Bill Graham got the film, he started bringing the blues acts out and putting them on with the younger guys like the, the Quicksilver Messenger Service and John Cipollina and people like that. So, and putting jazz on there and different kinds of music. So you'd go to hear one band or one style of music and you leave educated in two or three different kinds of music. So that was real fertile. And in my area, we, we invented FM radio. Uh, so, I mean, a, a lot started in the Bay Area. We invented jam bands, you know, yeah. <laughs> although we didn't call that man, then it was just bad learning how to play. Uh, we invented free concerts in the park, basically, because everybody played in the park for free. Uh, we uh, sort of in- invented um, uh, big shows because we had the first human beat in there, and a lot of bands played on that. And it was just a, you know, it, it was a stop that um, all, all the musicians wanted to make, whether they were the Yardbirds coming from. England or the them with Van Morrison, the group them mm-hmm. uh, coming from England or whether it was Muddy Waters coming from Chicago or whether it was 
was Bolasete coming from Brazil or uh, any any number of great acts you would see. And so it was it was a good education, you know. And um, yeah, that that's how I, I cut my teeth uh, playing all over California like that. Yeah, it, I'm always envious of folks who were in that era that were able to go to see shows where you mentioned, you know, getting educated in three different styles of music because, you know, things are so, I think, touring packages anymore become so corporate and somewhat sterile that, you know, you're going to see one band and another, you know, the other two bands on the bill are very, very close, you know, because it's done more as a, you know, they need to get people in seats. So, you know, you don't want to throw yeah. a left field in there and, you know, have you touring with a you know an electronic musician at, at this stage? You know, it, it wouldn't make sense in today's economy. But you know, in the '60s, you might have seen that. Um, Joe, what what was, was blues always kind of your 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 main focus? Now, I listen to your music, and you obviously hear elements of gospel and soul and things like that. But was was blues, you know, the kind of one four five and pentatonic stuff, always kind of you know what you were most into? Well, I mean, me and most musicians I know coming up with, uh, they just wanted to be musicians. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Just want to pay the rent. (laughs) Well, not so much pay the rent. They just wanted to, to, you know, you hear a record by by Wes Montgomery, and then you hear a record by Sandy Bull, and then you hear a record by Reverend Gary Davis, and then you hear a record by Mose Allison, and it would just inspire you, you know, I mean, I, I don't think any musician goes in a room and five guitar players or whatever and walk in and say, hey, I'm Chet Atkins, I'm the country guitar player, right. hey, I'm B.B. King, I'm the blues guitar, everybody walks in and just says, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a musician, and sure. that's the, the generation that I came out of. Right. Now, today you have a lot of people claiming the blues mantle, um, because blues is pretty popular. Uh, even though it doesn't get the promotion, uh, and thanks to thanks to people like you for for shining the light on it, but we don't get the promotion. Say a Lady Gaga gets or a sure. Taylor Swift, but we all know that. But you know the blues has been here before Lady Gaga, and it'll be here after Lady Gaga, and it's been here before Julius, Joe Louis Walker, and it will be here after Joe Louis Walker. So the blues is a constant, and 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 so when you have somebody, um, the Carlos Santana. Blues band, because that was the name of the group in when, when they were coming out of San Francisco at the same mm-hmm. time I was. Um, uh, when when Carlos, you know, found his you know his roots to 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 put him his his heritage and and put his 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 music and, and inject that into the blues, which inspired him. It became the Santana band, mm-hmm. and and so that's what it should be. Uh, uh, so, um, but blues has always been my mother tongue. To answer your question. Now you, you bring up a great point about you know the, the the longevity of the blues. Do you you know you've been doing this long enough? Do you see kind of waxing and waning in, in crowd sizes and, and things like that over the years, or 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 is it more of a linear thing? You know where you just you know year in year out you see crowds are you know plus or minus a few percent. How how do you see that? You know with the longevity that you've had. Well, depending on it depends on number one where you're at. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the last 45 days, I performed in Beijing, China, Beijing to, to Brazil, toured Brazil, came home, toured Brazil again, had to go back again, 
um, and then from there, and then Poland, then Canada, then the United States. All those countries I named, uh, uh, the crowds were 5,000 to 12,000 people. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, to, 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 a lot of it was on festival. The United States, 1,200 to 1,300 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, uh, it, it depends on who you are in the United States and the promotion that you have and, in, and this, that, and the other. In, in, in the other countries, they come to hear you because of your life's work, yeah. because of the cultural impact of the music. And, and so that, that's where, where I see the difference. And I think most musicians like me see the difference, as whereas we may um, not be as promoted as much or not be on national TV in the United States. Um, when I go to France, uh, I, I do Radio France for a billion people. Mm-hmm. I reach a billion people on Radio France. Uh, here in the United States, I'll be fortunate to get on, on a radio station that reaches a million people. Yeah, you know, and that's just the reality of it, yeah. and, and and so you know that's that's basically, you know, and, and anybody else can try to figure out the the, the whys of it. You know. Well, it's the you know one. It seemed like one or two companies owned half the stations in America. It obviously became a very difficult task if you weren't in that favored playlist. You know you know the promotion machine that they were dealing with it you know you were left on the outsides and, and blues radio i i know i i have personally you know listened to the bb king's bluesville on sirius um but you know a lot of what i've listened to comes from other countries via internet radio to actually listen to the blues um because it's hard to find terrestrial blues you know i mean you can hear the you know the led zeppelin and the stevie ray vaughan blues but you don't get you know, Albert King or, or things like that too much on terrestrial radio in the United States, at least not in this market. Um, do you do you find do you do you find you know airplay and things like that, um, like for especially for new material because that was one of the things. Obviously, you had a, a fantastic album and um, with everybody wants a piece. But um, do you find the stations in the in the United States that do play you still kind of put up a stiff arm against new material and do stations in other countries you know maybe ex- readily accept new material from you at this point well i, I think it, it, it's it's sort of like you said you know because the the industry is is run by a few conglomerates and of course it's to their benefit to promote a few people Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, where if you have a, a classic rock band that makes a blues record, or a classic rock star that quote unquote finds his blues roots, mm-hmm. and they make a blues record or a soul record, uh, just take one out of the air right now. Just play Melissa Etheridge mm-hmm. as a record doing pretty good, and it's it's a soul record called Memphis Soul, where she plays all the instruments. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's sort of a fun thing to do, but when 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 that happens, she starts headlining the blues festivals. She starts um, uh, she gets the airplay that someone who's been playing blues for twenty five, thirty, forty years yeah. doesn't get. Say she sells a hundred thousand of that record, it's going to blow nine ninety percent of the blues records out of the water. Yeah. So. 
as it was a few years ago, Cindy Lauper found her blues roots, mm-hmm. and uh, she won the blues Grammy. Yeah. Ramblin' Jack Elliott won the blues Grammy one year. Um, on and on and on and on. So, in, 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 if you if you've been in the trenches with the blues, that that becomes a situation where you just have to deal with it, um, and you keep putting out you know your music and your product and keep doing shows. But you know that um, now the blues festival blues blues means credibility. So a blues festival now, say Royal Albert Hall would include Tom Jones would be the headliner, which he was, mm-hmm. uh, I think last year. Uh, Van Morrison, who Van can you know Van skirts all all categories. Yeah, and it, it'll be you know. Um, Someone like my friend Ronnie Wood, or 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 Melissa Etheridge, or or whomever, and, and and then and then when they go back to playing their rock music, yeah. you know they've got a head of steam going because they've had some success with the blues, and that's something that they can just jump on right away, and right. And, and become chopped off. So um, if if what the level playing field, then say myself or or Kenny Neal or Lucky Peterson or. Or, or someone could headline a rock station. I can find my rock roots. Yeah. You know, and I grew up with the Grateful Dead. I grew up with Jack and Norma from Tuna. I grew up with John Chipolina. I live with Mike Bloomfield. I can rock it just as good as me, but that's not going to happen. Right. You know, because that, that door is closed to me. So, in essence, everything you said is spot on, you know, and, and it's, I always say I love the music. I'm not so much in love with the business. Yeah, it, it is tough. I mean, because I mean, you look at, you know, I think a lot of people when they think of blues, you know, they might think, oh, well, that was what the Rolling Stones did, you know, more recently in one of their albums, or, you know, like Eric Clapton every once in a while would throw out a really, you know, to me, I thought it was a pretty cool blues record, like from the Cradle or, or some of the stuff he did on the Robert Johnson stuff, and then he would go back to making his radio-friendly albums, just exactly like you said, you know, if they find their blues roots, do an album, and then they move on. Um, does in any way does that help an artist such as yourself when you know when, when the Stones decide they're going to blues it up for a record? Is that do you see any kind of swell in interest from fans that may not be all that familiar with the blues or kind of you know haven't listened to the blues since maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan died um, that may get drawn back in because of something like that? Well, you, you know, it's just ironic, you know, this conversation that we're having, and you know, just just to to sort of. Uh, accentuate what you just said. You know, it's, it's like the, you know, the, the Stones making a blues record help, uh, uh, Robert Cray or Joe Lewis Walker or right. Walter Trout. Um, uh, um, uh, and, and the, the people who, who came through the blues through Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, the, the story would let that dot connect. Um, I, I think when the Stones do a record, because they did more of a traditional sounding record, right. it's not a lot of you know, um, fourteen hour guitar solos on that record. It's more traditional. Well, I, I think what, what's going to happen is it's going to bring, you know, of course, a lot of interest to the Stones. So the blues, as when they first started, as when now, it, it still means credibility. So there's that credibility, and 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 we all know that that's where their heart. Always was anyway. Sure. Uh, if if it's going to, if their success is going to translate into quote unquote a rock blues artist, um, uh, uh, 
getting bigger gigs. I mean, we'll, we'll look and see if it if it if it um if it translates to uh, a blues artist such as myself or Kenny Neal or Lucky Peterson. I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I do know when a rock artist does a blues record and he rocks it up. I know it helps the rock blues artists. Right. I know that much. Sure. As far as guys like guys like me, I that's yet to be seen. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, now let me let me ask you this because I, I you know in preparing to speak with you today, I was looking through your your touring schedule and your touring schedule is about as busy as any artist I've I've seen. Um, it doesn't look like your your dates stop until sometime in 2018. Um, at this stage of your career in the record industry and speaking specifically in the record industry obviously you had you know great um, appreciation for your latest album being nominated for a Grammy but from a business standpoint is making a new album as important to you as touring is at this stage you know because of the, you know the difficulty in selling physical media anymore well I mean I, I believe that everybody knows that the record industry, not from now, right now, from day to day, is you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the record industry. And you know, the bottom line is this: uh, to be honest, I mean, I come from where Napster started, yeah. and um, why would someone pay for something when they can get it for free? Yeah. Number one. Number two. Um, who nowadays? It's not imperative to have a record label, um, other than for the promotion and getting your name out there. But a CD now is a, basically a glorified calling card. Yeah. Um, it's, it's extremely hard to uh, uh, to sell uh, uh, numbers of CDs the way they used to be sold, and it's extremely hard for the artist to to um, collect and to um, to to make a living making records you know it, it's just that day's gone you know um and and artists have been locked out of the streaming venues uh, uh revenues so to speak sure. so um musicians have to tour you have to tour and of course you have to, you want to have something to tour on but i mean you could see a lot of artists um who haven't had records in four or five years but they have a legacy so they can tour Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think to, to answer your question, um, the, the 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 recording aspect of it, the best thing I can say, I, I've seen an interview uh, with a guy named Roger Galtry, singer mm-hmm. for the Who, and they asked him, "Are you going to do a new record?" And he said, "What's more, <laughs> yeah. why? You know, I mean, they do better just going out and playing the songs that they did." that made him super famous like my generation and maybe doing a different version of it yeah. and it'll sell like we cake but if they do a new song called my new generation it's gonna be in competition with the real my generation yeah, and, and exactly. they're, they're out they're out in the ass pocket full of money for what yeah. you know and, and unfortunately that's that's very sad because you know, groups like those guys and, and other people, they still have something to offer musically. But younger groups have something to offer musically. And when you connect that with the with the issue that you brought up a minute ago about the touring situations, well, the reason, like you said, 
you don't see those 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 varied bills uh, of artists on the same bills like we did in days of the Fillmore West and Fillmore East, because a lot of times uh, the agencies will have okay, we've got such and such an artist. You want this artist, but we've got thirty other artists. We want you to pick the opening act from our roster, and, right. and we'll and when 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 the budget bottom act starts breaking real big, you'll have uh, first dibs on them, or, or either. Um, and, and this was another thing that a, a famous musician brought up uh, not too long ago. I, I think it was Ringo Starr brought it up that the state of the music business now is such that with major bands literally charging opening bands to open for them or either not having opening bands um, uh, I, I, have, I know a lot of friends I have a lot of friends that are, are doing very well and they don't have opening bands um, they want to do the whole show and the management wants them to keep all the money mm -hmm. and, and and Ringo said with, with that situation the Beatles never would have been able to open for Roy Orbison, uh, uh, Little Richard forever for Little Richard, Bo Diddley on and on and on and on and on. That's how they cut the teeth. That's yeah. how people get to hear you. And they, in turn, had all kind of people opening up for them. Same with big bands like Rolling Stones. They remember what it was like. Well, now Ringo would have an agent coming in saying, well, you know, you need to do the whole show. You get to keep the whole money. Yep. You don't have to give a, a little, you know, and you don't have to move your equipment. You know, and, and so, and God bless them for coming out and saying, you know, that's just totally, you're cutting off new music at the knees in more ways than one. Yeah, it, it is certainly a different world, and I think it's still kind of eye-opening to, to probably many fans, that, you know, a lot of opening slots or, or basically a pay-to-play kind of situation, you know, and you know, and bands are actually losing money going on the road for some of those slots, but um, let me ask you this, because I'm kind of curious, you know, maybe a more uh, contemporary blues artist uh, Joe Bonamassa and the the method that uh, he and his management team have put in place you know where they're kind of doing everything on their own um, does that catch the attention of, of you know somebody with your track record of you know maybe that's a different model to follow in this in this crazy mixed up music business at this point well uh, I, I, I'm, I'm of this frame of mind just because something works for one person might not be a mm -hmm. five fits all for everybody. Uh, so that off the top, um, uh, they just found a way that worked for them. Mm -hmm. um, that isn't the, they're not the first ones to do that. Led Zeppelin and Peter Grant do that back in the fifties. You know where they run the the parking and the concessions and everything. Right. You know. Uh, so that, that, that's 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 not a new situation. Um, if if you're asking if I think every artist can do that, uh, I don't think every artist can. I, I believe that old uh, axioms that you know you have to spend money to make money. Most artists don't have that kind of money, you know. Yeah. So um, a lot of it depends on you know um, the, the, the 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 juice you have behind you, and and um, and on and on and on and on. So I mean. Uh, uh, God bless that artist for having um, success doing doing that. Um, I think that there's two sides to to that. Um, I, I think that you know um, 
there can be such thing as too much publicity, and there can be such thing as, as sometimes you can be in the public eye and you have to get out of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes, and, and and unfortunately, we all know this; it's, it's fact. Is that when some artists when they have too much success, uh, there's they're a, a backlash, like Justin Bieber, yeah. you know, was a backlash to it. Um, and, and, and so, you know, an artist has to weigh all those, those situations, but to say what, what worked for that particular artist would work for someone else, um, I don't think so. What I, what I do like about the way the situation is now is that, um, when I came back to the blues in the early 80s, um, there was two younger blues guys who was generating some excitement with the blues. And, and, and one was Stevie Ray Vaughan, more of rock blues, and one was Robert Clay, more of soul blues. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in that wide spectrum, you had a lot of people coming up also, the Pit Thunderbirds, uh, um, Jeff Healy was alive, he was coming up, Joe Lewis Walker was sort of making a little bit of a name for myself. There was a lot of people sort of, and, and so everybody could say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I could dig a little rock blues guitar, but I can also dig this soul dude thing. I can dig this soul thing, um, but I can also dig this, this, this rock blues. And so we, we can all be, and so you have that a little bit now with the advent of, of, of uh, the artists that you named and also Gary Clark Jr. And, yeah. and I like that. I, I like that that brings some interest uh, to the blues. But I think when it tips more in one direction than the other direction, mm-hmm. then it becomes sort of, of, of uh, uh, I think there's enough room for everybody, you know, so it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be all rock blues, and it doesn't have to be all soul blues, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I think it makes it more interesting for me as a fan is when I hear a, a bit of both, because I grew up on, on, on both. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, I'm remiss not mentioning Gary Clark uh, Jr. Um, and it's exciting, you know, even if you're not necessarily a fan of his work. And, you know, I, there's some tracks of his I really enjoy and some that I'm a little less into. But the excitement he generates in a young audience, you know. I, I know I personally saw Joe Bonamassa last year. Great show. But the audience was all older than I am. And I'm in my, you know, 40s. Um, it wasn't a young man's audience. Um, so it's nice to see, you know, Gary Clark bringing in in a younger generation to the blues, you know, which I hope you know just keeps the ball rolling for many many years to come. Um, Joe, I, I want to thank you. I know I've taken up a, a nice chunk of your day here, but uh, again, you're going to be doing a show at the Club Cafe here in Pittsburgh on the 17th. You're also going to be doing the Heritage Festival in Wheeling a few days earlier on the 12th. So I want to wish you all the best and, and look forward to seeing you when you come into town. Oh, thank you very much, and I think we'll be playing in Kentucky also. Awesome. Day after, in pitch, I, I believe we're going to be in Kentucky soon. So, if anybody just wants, they can just uh, take a peek at the website, JoeWilkesWalker dot com, and um, come check us out. And, and thank you for having me. I really uh, enjoy talking to you. Really, absolutely, my pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much. All right, Joe Lewis Walker again going to be doing a show at the Club Cafe, August seventeenth, Thursday night show. So, hope you enjoyed getting your blues fix. We've done the rock fix with Tesla. Now we're going to turn it to metal. Uh, for those fans out there, we have a band that's been around for quite a long time. Uh, we have joining us on the show uh, Brian Smith, drummer of the band Hemlock. Uh, Hemlock is a band out of uh, Las Vegas, um, kind of contemporaries of of maybe Lamb of God, Otep, Slipknot. 
Uh, so we're going to play you a little bit of their music, get into that interview. Unfortunately, there there are touring, but they're not touring in the Pittsburgh region at the moment. But um, you know, sure, it won't be long before we get to see them out. So this is a track called "My Everything" from Hemlock, and then we're going to get into that interview. The way your eyes when they look at me, they're full of desire. And the way your fingers keep touching me, they feel like an electrical fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with me on the phone, I have from the band Hemlock, Brian Smith. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I guess looking at your tour schedule, you guys are somewhere uh, in Spokane, Washington tonight. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Um, so what I'm going to do, uh, for those of uh, listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, could you talk a little bit about the band and your history? Sure, definitely. We're a, a heavy metal band originally started in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1993. Uh, me and my brother, he's the lead singer, uh, started the band as kids and uh, just been rocking and rolling since. <laughs> Toured all over the U.S. Uh, several, several times. Been to Europe, Japan, Canada, and Mexico as far as uh, uh, out of the country and whatnot. But yeah, right. several uh, several albums and several tours later and still here rocking and rolling, having a blast. So you guys coming on my math, it's a little shake, 24 some years. It's a long time for any band. Uh, you know, how do you guys uh, manage to uh, keep sane, I guess? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know if we, uh, we are sane. That's probably why we're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, we, uh, we, we definitely very much enjoy it. Love traveling, love meeting uh, new people. And, and we get these fans that become our, our friends and, and our friends become family. And, um, we just really enjoy playing music. We're definitely uh, stubborn wherever we keep at right. it, for sure. And uh, and uh, just, like I said, very much uh, enjoy doing what we do. We have a great time getting out, performing live, and, and just, uh, you know, playing music for uh, for our friends all over the world. Well, when you guys started 20-some years ago, did you still think you'd be doing it today? Uh you know, I, I I don't even know that we really had a plan as as, as kids. You don't really even think that far ahead. I remember when my right. uncle was twenty seven. I thought he was ancient. You know, right, right. <laughs> so uh, so so at this point, for sure. I mean, I guess it's all I've ever wanted to do since I was a ten year old kid. So um, I know a lot of people have you know backup plans and oh, you got to go to school and you got to have this job and do this and that. We've literally just continuously always focused on on doing the band, and that was always the forte. So kind of uh kind of do or die and, and just push it and, and not accept failure you know just keep doing it right. and find uh find what works our best trial and uh trial and effort and uh, trial and error i mean and and uh just keep pushing with it now i'm, I'm not that's familiar with some of your older stuff or whatnot have you guys always been metal or you guys evolved a little bit because you know the late early 90s are coming out that's when grunge was real big did you find it sure. like hard to kind of get into the scene at that time yeah, we were playing bars in Vegas, and then sometimes we even had to sneak into our own shows. And so, of course, yeah, the music at the time, you know, coming out of the late 80s, early 90s. Um, as far as Hemlock, Hemlock goes, we've always had a similar style, similar right. formula. We've definitely grown and pushed. But as kids, when we were very first starting out before we were pushing the Hemlock thing, yeah, we were playing, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s, some covers and some of the bars right. and whatnot, just kind of kind of getting out there and developing our own sound. But uh but uh, certainly, I mean, we, we have stuff uh, recording back to 93 and 94 that we've uh, even released 
you know, uh, and even re-released, you know, years right. later. And uh, and you can sure hear Chad's voice, and he sounds like a like a high school kid doing it. <laughs> but uh, th- there's definitely been development and growth. But we've always had the hard rock, heavy metal edge for sure. Right now, who are your personal influences, and then can you kind of get into like the band's influences? Sure, sure. Uh, personal influences. All of us listen to everything. Um, right. Uh, I would say as a band, what kind of honed our our sound and vibe would be kind of like the '90s thrash groove metal stuff. So bands mm-hmm. like Sepultura and Pantera and Slayer and Machine Head, uh, Propane, um, Faith No More. You know, bands like that right. kind of helped uh, help us. And then you know, new metal coming out shortly after the whole grunge thing. So there's there's elements of a little bit of everything, but. Me personally, I, I mean, like I said, we listen to everything. Neil Diamond's one of my hugest, you know, you know right. favorites. Uh, I'm a big '80s pop and hair metal fan. Huey Lewis and the News is another huge one. Uh, in fact, we just met Duff McKagan uh, in Billings, Montana, about three days ago, and I was uh, <laughs> yeah, a little fanboy at that one. I was like, wow, right. man, this is incredible. So when me and Chad were first starting, you know, talking about playing in the bars, we were playing stuff like Guns N' Roses cover songs and things like that. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm a uh, huge fan of all different genres all styles of music cool yeah i guess you kind of have to be and you know people will say that you know i don't like this i don't like that but you know deep down everyone's gonna probably be listening to stuff that they'll never admit to and whatnot um so you're about a month into your uh skeletor um can you talk a little bit about how the tour has been going sure yeah it's been going great uh we are hitting a few new markets that we hadn't been in yet, but we are going back to several where we have built, built up a decent following and whatnot. Um, it's been a blast getting out traveling. We had a couple of days off and went to Yellowstone. And, right. uh, and um, like I said, we, we, uh, we definitely have fun with it. So when we have some downtime, we'll, we'll get out and do some things. But as far as the shows, they've been great. We've been having friends come out. We had a, uh, a fantastic show last night as well. So we've been... They keep them busy at it, but we're uh, definitely very focused and, uh, and and out here to rock for sure. But yeah, everything's been going great on the tour so far. Now you guys are hitting a lot of cities. You guys are mainly going to be out west uh, too much. We're in Pittsburgh, and it's too bad you guys aren't getting out this way on this tour. Um, can you talk about like what's your favorite cities to play? Um. We definitely got different markets. Again, being from Vegas, you know that's that's the hometown market, whatnot. Right. Um. Uh, California was a big one when we were first coming up, and then Phoenix, Arizona. So we've been hitting those places forever, you know, again, being more West Coast there. Uh, we've been working on the, the Midwest, and we definitely hope to come out East again, uh, hopefully next spring. It, it has been a little while. We're ready to come back. Um, so uh, other towns like Des Moines and literally all through Montana. We always have a great time in Montana as well. It's a super fun state, really good people, uh, very beautiful, and mm-hmm. a lot of tours, a lot of bands a lot of times tend to skip over Montana and, and it's right. funny people will question you know like well what's there like you don't even you're missing out it's a blast <laughs> so uh so we uh we definitely have a lot of fun in Montana as well but uh yeah it's almost impossible to pick the absolute favorite because we have great shows and and, and great friends and great places all over the place right now you guys spend a lot of time on the road and it seems like nowadays uh bands have to spend more time out on the road than they did, I guess, in the past. In the past, it seemed like, you know, you release an album, you tour, and then you release another album, and then you tour. Now it's kind of like we got to tour, 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 and then hope to finally get an album out at some point. Do you guys find yourself falling into that pattern at all, or do you just kind of take everything in stride? 
I, I think we do kind of uh, kind of don't have an exact formula again. There does seem to be, you're right, to, for bands to stay current and even relevant and whatnot. Uh, again, do the uh, the internet a lot. You're right. Back in the old school days, you do the album and tour in support of that. Whereas now, of course, we'll we'll plan a huge extensive tours here and overseas after an album does come out. But you're right. You don't want to sit around for another year or so. So mm-hmm. we go out and follow another uh, another tour just for the sake of getting out on the road and performing again. So things like this, we'll sometimes get a fun theme or something like that. Right. So this being the Skella tour, uh, being our summer tour, our, our uh, album's been out for a little while now, but uh, we've taken a few months off, and it was definitely time to get back on the road. So so we are uh, uh, definitely at it right now, and, and we do indeed, um, like I say, just, just keep busy, uh, as, as many bands do, you know, just just stay out on the road and again album sales and whatnot I think the game has changed so for bands to you know make money you know you know playing shows getting exposure and, and right. touring and whatnot um it's, it's definitely a way to to keep the bands moving for sure right now when, when you're on the break when your guys are taking breaks do you ever fuel the pool to get back out on the road or are there times when it's just like well let's focus on writing some music instead or do you always kind of feel that pool to go out Gotcha. Yeah, we we definitely go through cycles. There are times where uh, it's kind of funny because because after you've been out so long, you'll go home and within a week or two, you're stir crazy and it's like we need to get back on. Not. Um, we did just take one of the longest breaks we have in quite some time, and this is our first tour of the year. Normally, we would have mm-hmm. already been out in spring and back home again by now, and, and on a secondary one. And uh, we just kind of, I guess, have been pushing so hard for so long that we did take a little bit uh, longer of a break than sometimes, and and. Uh, you know, getting new management, new booking agent, and whatnot, uh, just kind of letting everything fall into place uh, naturally, and and now moving forward. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we do, we do like to keep busy and keep touring, and are constantly looking forward. I mean, before the the current tour starts, we're usually looking forward to the following one. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. Already starting to make plans <laughs> for that as well. So, so there are already plans uh, to go back to Europe, and we're getting those dates confirmed. Uh, you know, already as well. Cool. That's cool. That's that's you know in. That's a whole different market than it is over here. Can you talk about differences that you see between U.S. and then over in Europe? Sure, sure. Uh, they're definitely uh, very appreciative uh, over there and, and, and the excitement levels. I mean, I'm not saying that U.S. isn't as well, but they're, right. they're super uh, excited to have you know American bands come over and tour. Um, we've been over now three times as a support act. Uh, went over mm-hmm. with Propane twice. And then last time we did a co-headline tour with the band Ectomorph from Hungary. And uh, this, well, with us going over now, is going to be our first headlining tour. So it'll be the first time that we've actually headlined. So we're actually wow. making that transition and that jump to be headliners now. So that's extra exciting for us. Definitely, definitely. Now you got, you know, 20 years, you've got a lot of time on the road. You play with a ton of bands. I'm sure you guys got a lot of stories. What's one thing that kind of sticks out for you as, like, you know the quintessential like touring moment for you sure again yeah you're right we, we've played with them there just about every every band of our genre uh save a couple you know you know we haven't played with metallica haven't played with ozzy and and uh, literally just about other than that you know any name right. you can throw out there we pretty much have and we've been able to meet some incredible uh, people uh um playing with motorhead was huge 
tour yeah. the player was huge, whatnot. Um, I think one of my personal first ones where it was kind of that feeling of, oh, wow, we've made it, this is incredible, was the first time when we were coming up and we actually headlined House of Blues ourselves. And when the curtain's oh, wow. up and just the excitement and cheer, and you're like, right. not only you're like, hey, we're not here opening up for so-and-so, this is our crowd, you know. And and that's always one of the moments I, I do like to look back. And, you know, I, I know it doesn't sound as worldly being hometown from Vegas, but that was one of my huge proud moments. Um you know, I've received a phone call from Huey Lewis. I, uh, like I said, we just met Duff McKagan a couple of days ago. So those types right. of things that were like, well, we were kids looking up to these guys. So it is really cool getting get to meet some of your, you know, idols, people that you've looked up to. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, playing festivals over in Europe, you know, it's incredible. It's, it's mind blowing to, to actually look back and think of us as, you know, you know, 10 and 12 year old kids and whatnot playing music in our mom's basement. It's like, wow, we're here on you know the other side of the world right now performing right. concerts. This is pretty incredible. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's gotta be a, gotta be a great feeling. Um, so the last album you guys released, uh, mouth of the swine came out 2015. Um, you guys thinking about a new album soon, or you just want to focus on touring? Uh, no, we, uh, we've actually done some pre-production in our downtime and started writing some music for an upcoming album. Um, we definitely felt like there was a lot of life left in, in, in this album as well and are right. very proud of it. I know every band always thinks, you know, like the newest album is the best, but we definitely went over to the top with the production, with the songwriting, with everything. And I'm, without a doubt, most proud of, of the Mouth of the Swine album. We've... Uh, did several music videos as well and have those, you know, on YouTube and released mm-hmm. a home DVD and things like that. So, uh, like I said, there was, there, there was just so much I felt like that, that album had to offer that we were, we're still fresh and, and enjoying the songs and picking up, mixing up set lists and whatnot. So, uh, no, we still seem to be getting great response, you know, even off that, still selling plenty of hard copy discs at the shows mm-hmm. and whatnot as well. But, um, yeah, and personally, you know, we got the edge for like, oh, I can't wait to play, you know, such and such new song live. So, so we're we're getting right. to that point where, you know, we're gonna get home from the tour, uh, work on a little bit more before we go to Europe, and then hopefully record again in the winter and get something out early next year. Cool, cool. Now, when you guys are, you know, you guys gonna try and work in all the songs from the album, kind of rotate all of them, or there's some songs that you know you just you, you guys you know don't want to play live. Yeah, um, again, having so many albums, and, and we do try to, I break uh, the set list, and I get stir crazy myself. I know a lot of bands will go out and they'll have their set for the tour, and, they, and to me, right. personally, myself, you know, that gets repetitious. I get when you have over-the-top production and pyro and this and that, you know, uh, but, you know, when you're a rock band on stage just going for it, I literally will mix up the set every night. We'll have, mm-hmm. you know, friends and fans tour and come see us four and five times, you know, I reassure them, I'm like, you'll get a different show each time. Um, right. I, there are a couple you will play, and we're like, yeah, not even that doesn't get that good of a crowd response, but it's like, well, you know, being a high-energy uh, live band like we are and, and trying to have a high-energy performance as well, there are certain ones that just aren't uh, quite as over the top. So, you know, I'll mix them. Like, we throw in this fast one here, we got this group, and we get this one where everyone's jumping around. So I'll uh, definitely mix up sets accordingly. Um, but there's very few. I mean, we're proud of the songs because if we have anything that we don't all totally love, we throw it out. And right, right. even when writing, sometimes we'll think, oh, this one will go over great live, you know, things like that. So there's, uh, we rotate throughout our, throughout our albums and, and throughout the tours, and, and, and we definitely make songs up. And, and if I think we haven't done one in a certain while, I'll just, uh, r- randomly throw one in. I'm like, hey, brush up on your chops. We're going to play such and such song tonight. <laughs> <laughs> throw the curveballs at them to keep it fresh. Right. 
Right, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, when I was playing in bands, I used to make up the set list also, and every once in a while I'd just be like, oh, we haven't played this and never, I'm just going to throw it on there and see what happens, so uh, it's always <laughs> always something to <laughs> mess with your bandmates yep. or whatnot. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, because I know uh, touring's pretty busy, I know you guys go on in a few hours out in, uh, in yep. Spokane, so uh, thanks for calling in, I want to wish you guys all the luck on this tour. I really hope you guys make it to Pittsburgh sometime, because I'd love to check you guys out yeah absolutely thank you very much for everything and definitely we hope to get up there next spring so i uh, look forward to meeting you in person as well cool looking forward to it all right thanks brian um all right, thank you what i'll do is i'll uh i'm going i'm going on vacation next week leaving uh, okay. tomorrow so when the show goes live uh, uh i'll have uh co-host uh email tom the link so you guys can get it out there or whatnot Oh, terrific. Yeah, yeah. We'll share, uh, share it everywhere. That sounds great. Cool. I think uh, from what I was told, uh, it's going to be on an episode with uh, the actually the drummer from Tesla. So uh should oh, be an very interesting cool. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I'm even friends with, with, with Troy as well on, on Facebook. So that's really cool. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to so, tag uh, him in the post as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, thanks, Brian. And I really hope uh, you guys do well on the tour, and I uh, really do hope to see you guys out here in Pittsburgh. Great. Thank you, and enjoy your vacation as well. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, right, folks, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. We want to thank you as we headed into extra innings for sure this time around. Thank you to all of our guests uh, for being on the show. We thank Hemlock, Tesla, Jolis, Walker, Genova, Magnus. Uh, We really ran the gamut, uh, and we hope you enjoy that kind of variety. I I know we as hosts of the show really enjoy a lot of different kinds of music. We hope that shows in our choice of guests, and uh, hope you enjoyed listening to a variety. You know, we hope to expand people's musical palette. Because um, I feel it's important, as, you know, music fans to explore other genres as well. So, we want to invite you to check out IronCityRocks.com. We have 345 previous episodes of this podcast with all kinds of guests. Uh, we invite you to check out uh, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube are all forward slash IronCityRocks. And drop us an email at IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. Tell us what you think about the variety. Do you like episodes that are more one genre of music over another? I give you feedback. Uh, you know, is there a particular guest that maybe we introduced you to that you weren't familiar with or somebody you're tired of hearing about? So let us know. We, we always uh, value our listeners' opinion. Until next time, we want to thank you for hanging in there. I know this was a rather long episode, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>